It's Texaco time. This program will be interrupted for any important news flashes. And now, Larry Elliott. This is the first Texaco Star Theater broadcast ever to go on the air without its distinguishing air signature, the sound of the siren and bell. This change has been made because the siren has now become a signal of alarm and danger throughout our nation. So to avoid any possibility of confusion or disturbance to our listening audience, the sound of the siren and bell will be missing from the Texaco Star Theater until further notice. Yes, within the last few days, America has seen great changes. The shock of being at war has made itself felt in the heart of every American and has influenced the thinking of every citizen. Tonight on the air, we hope that our Fred Allen show, going on as usual, will provide our audience with helpful diversion. For civilian morale is important when the first task of every American is to help make America strong. To this task, we dedicate our manpower, our machines, our industries. In this respect, the Texas Company is proud to report that the strength of our vital oil industry is by far the greatest in the world. Even the Texas Company alone produces more petroleum than all of Europe, exclusive of Russia. Yes, all of us have our job to do in helping to make America strong. And every American pledges with heart, hand, and mind to make it stronger and stronger. to the Texaco Star Theater, ladies and gentlemen. We invite you to enjoy the next 60 minutes with Fred Allen, Kenny Baker, Portland Hopper, our special guest, Miss Luella Parsons, the winner of the Texaco College competition, Jack Wilson from the University of Oklahoma, and Al Goodman's Orchestra. An hour of mirth and melody brought to you by the more than 45,000 Texaco dealers from coast to coast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for four days last week, New York was in a fog. We bring you now a man who has been in the fog for 40 years. He's Fred Allen in first. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And Jimmy, I was hoping that as we neared the Yule, we could start one show, this show tonight, without arguing. Uh, but, uh, what is that short for? Uh, but, uh, since you, uh... Have you got a funny line in your script that I haven't got? <laughs> but since you have seen the uh, fit to enter with a quip on your shoulder, I shall proceed to knock it off, being the boss. But, Fred, you look as though you've been in the fog for 40 years. And you look as though you have been in the rain for 40 years, Jimmy. In the rain? Yes, Mr. Wallington. You are the biggest drip I have ever seen. <laughs> you can't deny that. You are so wet... Now, watch that mugging while I'm reading the line. <laughs> I mean, even when you turn around without doing anything, it's, I consider that mugging. You are... <laughs> you are so wet, Mr. Wallington. If you ever lie down, the government will stock you with trout. I was only kidding. You don't have to get sore about it. Well, why shouldn't I get sore, Jimmy? You pulled that gag about the fog. Now you ruined my whole newsreel. The newsreel, I've got four people uh, here tonight to talk about fog. I'm sorry, folks. I, I won't be able to use you folks tonight. Some other time, possibly, I'll keep you in mind. Well, good night, Mr. Allen. Good, well, good night, Mr. Allen. Oh, no, 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 you don't. I came all the way from Nutley, New Jersey to tell my story. Well, I realize that. <laughs> I know. Uh, you are you are Mr. Fulcrum T. Biddle. I have your name on my cuff here. When we signed you in Nutley last week, you are the hunter who had trouble in the fog. Is that yes, right? Yes, I am an old boy scout. My wife was a campfire girl. Uh, <laughs> 
You, uh, you met in the woods, did you? Yes, yes. My wife was tracking a skunk. She overtook me. It was love at first sight. <laughs> that I can understand. Yes. Every year on our wedding anniversary, I go out into the woods and shoot a deer for my wife. You do? Shoot yes. a deer, yes. huh? Well, did you start out this year? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I had my high boots, my gun, my compass, and my deer call. <laughs> That, uh, that is your dear call, is yes, it? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, where did you start from, Mr. Biddle? My backyard in Nutley. Oh, you did? Yes. Well, was the fog bad as you oh, left? Oh, it was terrible. I bounded into the woods. I couldn't see a thing. I blew my dear call. <laughs> what, uh, what happened? Well, sir, there was no answer. The fog kept getting worse. Yes? I got down on all fours and started crawling. You were crawling through the fog on your yes, hands and sir. knees? Finally, I found some deer tracks. You found some deer yes, tracks. Yes, I followed the deer tracks to an old cave. I looked in. And there you found? Four little boys on pogo sticks. <laughs> well, what, uh, what did you do, well, Mr. What, Biddle? I blew my deer call. And I was off again. For four hours, I kept crawling on my hands and knees in that fog, blowing my deer call for dear life. I, uh, Just like that. That, uh... That sounds more like an opinion than a deer call. <laughs> As an old moose man myself. But uh, tell me, you were crawling on your hands and knees, blowing your call intermittently. You didn't give up. I was just about to when suddenly... Yes? Out of the fog, I saw... You saw? A pair of antlers. Antlers? Yes, sir. I raised my gun and fired. Yes? The fog lifted. There I was on my hands and knees. Where? In front of the A&P store in Nutley. <laughs> I was humiliated. Well, you uh, you did bag a deer, Mr. Biddle. It turned out to be a man carrying a hall tree. <laughs> the antlers with man yes, with the hall yes, tree. Yes. So you didn't get your deer after all. No, I got a summons. The man is suing. The man is suing. Mm. What uh, what did you uh, what did you say to the man? <laughs> Get it, and uh, and thank you for your labial contribution, Mr. Fulcrum Biddle. Well, now we uh, guess we can get on with the show. Now, not quite yet, old boy. Hall <laughs> staff, open show. Well, not tonight. We don't want any tonight. But I have written a fresh batch of poems. We are not interested. Have you heard? Goodbye, sweet Flossie. Here comes the posse. <laughs> Or, uh, she listened to me prattle as we sat among the cattle. No, no, I haven't. Or, uh, that's not a piece of burlap, Brakeman. You're yanking my mother's shawl. Now, wait. (laughs) Wait, Falstaff. Tonight, we are where we're supposed to discuss the recent foggy spell. Precisely why I am here. You? I have written a poem about it. And what is your fog poem called? An epilogue. An epilogue to thought. Well, how does it go? Poets for eons facing starvation have turned to the weather for inspiration. They have written odes to the sleet and snow, to the rain and the frost, and the wine moaning low. The wine. But I am a poet, a renegade. A song of fog is my serenade. When I sing of fog, I'm all agog, like a hog in a bog or a frog on a log. Like a polly with its wog or an egg in its nog. Yea, the muse I flog to sing of fog. Well, thank the you The reason very I chant of fog is plain. I run a lighthouse up in Maine. Fog is what makes my living for me. Where would I be but for F.O.G.? Well, thank you very If there was I... no fog on that lonely reef, my lighthouse would close and I'd be back on relief. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> From the ridiculous, we turn to the sublime and welcome Kenny Baker, loyally supported by Al Goodman and his orchestra. Kenny sings El Rancho Grande. I got no looks, no dinero. I'm just a gay caballero. 
With my guitar, joy I'm ringing, and where I go, I keep singing. I have a rancho brandy, it's just across the border. Each day I'm in my saddle, surrounding up the cattle, the cowboys close beside me are two companions. As we ride down through the canyon, I have a rancho brandy, it's shaped like my sombrero. The trees grow all around it, the mountain tops around it. A little senorita is waiting for me on my rancho, big grande. Give me my bridle and my saddle and my open car travel. I'll get the cowboys riding up where the rustlers are hiding. I have a rancho brandy, it's just across the border. I <laughs> the cowboys close beside me are two companions as we ride down through the canyon. I have a rancho brandy, it's shaped like my sombrero. Yes, Fred? I meant to ask you before, how come you've lost that frosted, uh, that chapped look you used to have? What chapped look? Well, you know, Jimmy, now you're from California, and I remember distinctly that last winter when our cold weather set in, you were carrying a portable smudge pot around the city here. <laughs> oh, well, this year I'm a changed man, Well, Fred. I notice now that you seem to enjoy cold days. How do you do it? Do you make yourself mad and get hot under the collar and pray that it will oh. go lower down? No, it's very simple, Fred. I enjoy cold weather now because I got myself in a good physical condition. Oh, you lost that blue look by getting in the pink. Uh-huh. Color <laughs> matter of color, I see. And let me point out that getting into good condition for winter is not only wise for you and me, but for our cars. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to enjoy driving your car despite cold days, don't delay seeing your Texaco dealer for complete winter conditioning. That means having the old worn oil changed so that you'll get quick battery and gasoline-saving starts in any weather. It means seeing that the right grade of quality lubricant is in the transmission for easier shifting of gears on coldest days. And going further... It includes a changeover to winter lubricants at all vital points in the chassis for smoother, easier riding. So drive in at your Texaco dealer and drive out with an easier handling car and a safer car, too. He's trained to do skilled, thorough work, and he uses these quality Texaco products. Haviland, his premium motor oil, or insulated Texaco motor oil, Texaco transmission lubricant, and Marfac for the chassis. Do it tomorrow. And now, ladies and gentlemen, may I present our guest, the lady who probably knows more about Hollywood than the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. She is Miss... Mr. Allen! Well, Portman, <laughs> Well, what, uh, what's with you? I won't have time to tell any jokes. Tonight. No fun tonight, huh? <laughs> why, uh, why not? Penny and I are going to surprise our guest. Surprise our guest? You know who our guest tonight is. It's Miss Luella Parsons, the famous Hollywood columnist. Wait till you see the big Hollywood reception Penny has picked up for Miss Parsons. Hey, Penny? Yeah, you bet, F.A. Why, you can't sneak her on. Miss Parsons is from Hollywood. Well, no, but how can we give her a big reception with three of us? Mr. Goodman bought a special fanfare. A fanfare? Mm -hmm. It cost $15. He got it wholesale. Okay. <laughs> uh, through a friend. They know a man with fanfare. Well, what kind of a fanfare? Well, what, <laughs> what kind of a fanfare is it? <laughs> well, Mr. Goodman, will you play Miss Parsons' fanfare, the $15 one? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
cost $15 wholesale, huh? What was that little thing on the end? <laughs> that was the sales tag. Uh-huh. Here's your speech, F.A. What speech? What do I want with this speech? Well, you're supposed to be the MC in the lobby. Oh, an MC, but at, uh, at a Hollywood premiere, Kenny, the MC brings movie stars to the microphone. That's all fake. Yes. Cordy and I will imitate the stars arriving. You just you two will imitate her. This is going to sound like Grauman's Pekingese. It's <laughs> going, to the, going to the dogs. Yeah, you know, I put a box of wet cement right in front of the stage door. Wet cement? For what? Kenny's going to get Miss Parsons' footprint. Well, he may get it where he's not expecting it. Miss <laughs> Parsons, I hear, is quite limber. And uh, if she has cement... <laughs> if she cement on her foot, Kenny will think he is backed into a cornerstone. That is... <laughs> okay, let's go over the broadcast, F.A. Well, I, something tells me I shouldn't, but all right. Look, make like a crowd, Porter, you know. All right. All right. Good evening, movie fans. Here we are in the lobby of the Texaco Star Theater about to preview Miss Luella Parsons. All the Hollywood stars are here tonight. There goes a friend of Slim Somerville's. There goes one of Dr. Kildare's patients. <laughs> Yes, the stars are out tonight. And here to our microphone comes Miss Netta Darbo. Miss Darbo, are you here to welcome Luella Parsons? Yes. I always listen to Fred Allen's program. Well, thank you. I want to be alone. Overdo it, Portland. You get a little chance like that. You think somebody's listening in California, you overdo it. And now, now, look who's here, ladies and gentlemen. Look who's here, Nelson Nettie. How do you do, Nelson Nettie? How do you do? How do you do? You, uh, you are going in to cheer Miss Parsons? No, I'm here to get singing lessons from Kenny Baker. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Half Nelson Eddies. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. And here's another well-known star, one we all love. Your name escapes me, sir. Uh, maybe this will help you. Why, of course, you're, uh, you're Johnny Weissmuller, aren't you? No, I'm John Barrymore's doctor. <laughs> he, uh, he hasn't paid you yet, I get it. Well, still the stars flock by, and here comes the star of the evening, the first lady of the Hollywood columns... Luella Parsons. See what you did? You parted it too soon. I really <laughs> ought to read the whole thing over and make you do it. <laughs> well, uh, good evening, Luella, if I'm not too familiar. Not at all, Fred. And thank you for this gala reception. Oh, well, we just tried to give you the old Hollywood uh, rinky-dink, Luella. <laughs> How did the... How did it sound? <laughs> it sounded grand. You know, I thought for a moment I was Abbott and Costello. You had everything but the spotlight. Yes, we uh, we wanted a spotlight. We thought we could make Mr. Goodman's bald spot do. <laughs> but uh, his skin went dim at the last minute. <laughs> and while we're waiting for Mr. Goodman to glow, uh, you and I can tango. <laughs> What's on your mind, Fred? Well, Luella, you know all the gossip about Hollywood. You spent years making other people famous. How about coming out from behind your typewriter tonight and giving us the lowdown on you? Well, Fred, there really isn't any lowdown. People all over the world are interested in Hollywood. I just try to print the news as I see and hear it. Well, how many newspapers carry your uh, daily column? Well, I should say about 300, including five in South America. Five in South America. If Mr. Zanuck hears that, he'll have Don Amici playing the life of Carmen Miranda. <laughs> Fred, 
Yeah. Miss Parsons is you put my name in her column. Now, Kenny, you go away. Kenny, go away. <laughs> well, uh, tell me, excuse me, Luella, but tell me, how do you manage to get the news of the industry and the stars first? You have little men who hide in producers' office, uh, offices disguised as bookends? <laughs> Not at all, Fred. I get the news right from the stars themselves. Well, only yesterday, Mickey Rooney telephoned to me from Hollywood to tell me of his engagement to Ava Gardner. And a little later, Constance Bennett wired me that the stork had brought her a six-and-a-half-pound baby girl. You didn't hear from the stork personally, no. did you, Jessica? No, you forgot the comment. Well, why, uh, <laughs> why do the stars call you up, Luella? Well, you see, Fred, many of the boys and girls came to me for advice before they were stars. And after they became famous? Well, many of them still ask my advice about their marriages, quarrels, contracts, the horses they own and about everything else. Well, do they take the advice you give them? But never. Uh, <laughs> that's the way it is with advice. A lot of people can't take it. Well, now, uh, how did you first get involved in the picture business? Well, you see, I started as a writer in the old SNA studios in Chicago. The old SNA uh -huh. studios. Right. You'd better be careful, Luella. You'll uh, give away your age. You know, I don't try to hide my age anymore. After all, when a girl gets to be 30... I know. <laughs> I know. When a, girl, when a girl gets to be 30, she stays there. <laughs> but when did you start writing movie gossip? On the old Chicago Record Herald. I started writing picture news for fun. And your daily report became the world's first syndicated movie column. That's right. Hey, Fred, ask her about my name. In no. a minute, in a minute, in a minute. I know your name. I'll ask her in a minute. Now, about Hollywood. Which came first, Luella? You or Hollywood? Well, I guess Hollywood came first. <laughs> in those days. Now, wait a minute. Wait for our laughs here. The doctor won't <laughs> The doc won't like it if you talk on our last. I know. Year. Which came first, you or Hollywood? Well, I guess Hollywood came first. But uh -huh. in those days, it was just a, a small town. And the, na the stars were all our neighbors. I know. Those must have been glamorous days. Indeed, they were. You know, Fred, I remember when John Barrymore married Michael Strange. What a wedding. Oh, I read about that in the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> Little, little May Robeson was the flower girl. <laughs> uh, now, tell me, was uh, Cecil B. DeMille with uh, Beret Askew loose in Hollywood at that time? <laughs> yes, I'm afraid he was. He was <laughs> Ten yeah. Commandments and the King of Kings. Mr. DeMille was the father of epic production. Yes. Uh -huh. You know, in those days, he used horses by the hundreds and extras by the thousands. Well, it's a lot different today. I hear that in his next picture, the Lone Ranger is going to be a pedestrian. <laughs> yes, sir, the OPM has stepped in and taken his silver, I understand. <laughs> oh, say, Fred, if Miss Parsons is going to use my name, why, Kenny has smelled a small K... <laughs> Wait and there's minute. one B in <laughs> 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 Tonight, anyway. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Go through that again. You see, Miss Parsons, he cannot resist you. You've upset <laughs> Kenny here. Now, go ahead, Kenny. Uh, well, look, Miss Parsons. My first name is spelled with a small K, and the last I name, see. Baker, is spelled with oh. a small B. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you'd like to be in pictures. What has Charles Boyer got that I haven't got? And where can I get it in six easy lessons? <laughs> Now, look, Kenny, you haven't the profile to be a movie actor. Profile, he says. Look who's talking. Why, you look like Santa Claus came down your nose and left a bag under each arm. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny, you irk me with a capital J. <laughs> Well, Luella, I know you are always stalking news. How would you like to walk out of here tonight with a scoop? Why, I'd love to, Fred. Well, now, uh, confidentially, do you know an old character actor out in Hollywood named uh, Benny? Of course. But you can't tell me anything about Jack Benny, Fred. I can't tell you anything about Jack Benny, hey? Where was he born? Why, in Waukegan. Everybody knows that. So he hoodwinked you, too, <laughs> huh? How would you like to know that Benny was born in Chicago? In Chicago? After the Chicago fire, 
Benny's family fled to Waukegan on a hook and ladder. <laughs> now, Fred, you know very well Jack isn't that old. He isn't that old. Benny started the Chicago fire. <laughs> I don't believe it. Why, when Benny was a little baby, Luella, he was too cheap to buy milk. He used to crawl into Mrs. O'Leary's barn and have lactic traffic with her cow. <laughs> well, sir, one cold night, Benny wanted some warm milk. He built a fire under the cow. <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> I think you're prejudiced, Fred. Everybody out in Hollywood is crazy about Jack Benny. He's just a fun-loving boy. Boy, see. <laughs> Say, do you know do you know a girl out there who calls herself uh, Mary Livingston? Of course I do. Mary is Jack's wife. Wife? Mary Livingston is Jack Benny's daughter. <laughs> Alan, how can you say a thing like I that? I have the proof, Luella. Years ago, Benny was married to a little seamstress in Philadelphia. <laughs> Her name was Betsy Ross. <laughs> there is your scoop, Luella Parsons, and good luck to you. Well, I can't print that. Besides, I like Jack Benny. Well, then you are his public, Luella. Say, tell me... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, have many changes been made in Hollywood during recent years? A great many, Fred. In spite of sweater girls, oomph girls, and so forth, Hollywood in general is deglamorizing itself. It's coming down to work. Exactly. The old days of dark glasses, mammoth swimming pools, and general exhibitionism are gone. Good. Another thing I like is that during the past year... There have been fewer divorces and more babies in Hollywood than in any year I can remember. Well, of course, Luella, now that the stars have taken off their dark glasses, the stalk can finally see to whom to deliver. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's been swell having you with us tonight, Luella. Is there anything that we've overlooked, I mean, as far as your work is concerned? No. I think we've covered my career pretty well. Well, after writing about Hollywood and the stars for 25 years, I guess you have covered a, about every big story out there. No, Fred. Some of my biggest stories I've never printed. Well, why not, Luella? Well, getting scoops and inside news. They bring fame to a Hollywood columnist. But no story is important enough to break another person's heart. That's all today. See you tomorrow. Thank you, and good night, Miss Luella Parsons. Thank, thank you very much. Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker is Hollywood hopes blasted. Find solace in song. Kenny Baker singing The Angels Came Through.
the things that we hope and we pray for, that we wish every day for, seldom come true. Yet you are one who gets everything to come. Angels of love to bring them to Broadcasting System. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, another young college student appears to take his place in the spotlight at the Texaco Star Theater. The official choice of his fellow students as the most talented undergraduate within their ranks. Each Wednesday night, a separate university is thus honored. Its winner is brought to New York for a coast-to-coast radio appearance as Fred Allen's guest with all expenses paid, plus a salary of $200. And here is Fred himself, the chairman of our reception committee. Well, thank you, Larry. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to... Stop taking bows. We're not for you. Tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to have you meet the University of Oklahoma's most talented undergraduate, Jack Wilson. Well, congratulations, Jack, and welcome to our Texaco Star Theater. Thank you, Mr. Allen. Tell me, is this your first visit to New York? Well, yes, sir, it is. What do you think of our town, Jack? Well, I've heard so much about New York that I thought I might be disappointed when I finally got here, uh, but I wasn't. That's the first kind word New York has had in many a day, Jack. <laughs> Have you ever been down in Oklahoma, Mr. Allen? Oh, many times, Jackson. I was, uh, I was in, uh... <laughs> I, when, when I was in Vaudeville years ago, I played Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Enid, Sepulpa, Bartlesville, Oak Mulgee. Well, you know, back in 1920, Jack, if you lived in any small town in Oklahoma and saw a small mangy pony, four scurvy dogs, and me get off a train, that was the Vaudeville show for that week. <laughs> well, I'm afraid that was a little before my time. Well, fortunately for you, Jack, that dog act was nothing to brag about. <laughs> You know, Oklahoma and New York have a lot in common, don't you think? Well, I don't know. You know, an Oklahoma cowboy would sure get a laugh out of the horses you have here in New York. The horses? How do you mean, Jack? Well, I saw a horse today with a braided tail and fancy rubber shoes on. Oh, wedgies, yes. The horse... <laughs> yes, our, our city horses are a little effeminate, Jack. You know, if a man gets on a New York horse and doesn't sit side saddle, the horse looks around. <laughs> he knows it's a tourist aboard. <laughs> but enough of this equine small talk. Tell me, Jack, what are you studying down there at school? Law. I'm a senior law student. Law student? Well, that's peculiar, Jack. Five of the eight college boys who have been on our program this season have been law students. You know, if we keep getting lawyers, people won't know this program from the Goodwill Court. <laughs> is, your, uh, is your father a lawyer too, Jack? No, sir. My dad's a salesman. 
He sells aluminum cooking utensils. Well, how can your dad sell aluminum when the government has a priority? Well, that's what he keeps telling them down at the office. <laughs> I see. Your, uh, your dad has a sideline. He's a Bob Hope fan. Very pleasant sideline, too, I might add. But tell me, Jack, are you a fraternity man? Yes, sir. I'm a Beta Theta Pi. And I'm also a member of the Phi Delta Phi, the legal fraternity. You're living on the frat of the land, in other words. <laughs> the, uh, the farmers at the school I attended years ago had an agricultural fraternity. It was called the Alpha Smalpha Alfalfa. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I- I've never heard of the Alpha Smalpha Alfalfa. Oh, well, it was uh, just a corny outfit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, our fraternity pin was a spot of succotash worn low on the vest. <laughs> but not changing the subject, have you done any Christmas shopping while you've been in New York? Have you brought, bought any presents? No, the, the only present I have is one for you, Mr. Allen. Oh, a present for little old underdone mentally I, Jack. <laughs> yes, sir. Mr. Joseph A. Brandt, the president of Oklahoma University has asked me to present you with this Indian headdress. Well, that's very nice of Mr. Brandt. I, uh... An Indian headdress, and how... How I can use a feather in my cap. (laughs) Well, are you going to swear me in, Jack? Yes, sir. In the name of the American Indian Exposition and the Comanche Tribe of Anadarko, Oklahoma, I hereby appoint you, Fred Allen, a Comanche chief. Today I am a Comanche. <laughs> well, now that I'm a chief, uh, Chief Smith, Jack, I think I'll celebrate with some entertainment. My spies tell me that you sing and play the piano. That's right. And what are you going to sing and play for us tonight? Well, Mr. Allen, I'd like to play and sing... The Louisiana Lullaby. Go right ahead.
And thanks to the University of Oklahoma, Jack, for letting you uh, join us here tonight. Now, next week, ladies and gentlemen, the most talented undergraduate of the University of Missouri. After listening to the three finalists over station KMBC in Kansas City, the Missouri students conducted their own election. Ballots have just been tabulated, and the winner is Hamer Fleet. Well, we'll be looking for you next Wednesday, Hamer. And now, I guess, Jimmy, while we're waiting for Hamer to get here, I think uh, it's your turn. Thank you, Fred. Fire engines don't have starting trouble in cold weather, ladies and gentlemen. Their engines... Put a little more expression into it, Jimmy. (laughs) Did you say something, Fred? Well, I just said put a little more expression into it, if you don't mind. Oh, you're starting that again. Now, I'm not starting anything, Jimmy. I'm only suggesting. Now, look, I told you last week... I've been reading commercials for years. Well, I know that, but none of us is perfect, Jimmy. Well, I'm the exception, Mr. Allen. Uh, when I finish reading this commercial, it will be read. Well, I realize that, but uh, well, while you're reading it, Jimmy, I just ask you to give it a little more expression, that's all. For your information, Mr. Allen, nobody can read this commercial any better than I'm reading it. Look, Jimmy, I don't want to argue, but I will bet you $5 that any person sitting here in our audience tonight can do a better job than you're doing now. Anybody in the uh-huh. place here. You'll bet me $5. I'll bet you $5. I'll pick any stranger out of the audience. And the here. party will read this commercial. Better than you. It's a bet. All right. I'll go down in the audience and pick out anyone. Now, who'd like to come up and read this commercial? Anybody like to come up and read it? Oh, Want to come up? Hand. Come right up. It's all right, sir. I've only got so many steps in my legs. I'd like to save them if I could. Now we're going to find out. Yes, we're going to find out. Uh, thanks a lot, first, for coming up. So may I ask your name? Charles Weil. Charles Weil? Yes. Do you live in New York? I do. In New York City? Yes, sir. And what is your occupation, Charles? I am unemployed at the present. You are? Well, you're working right now. <laughs> and, uh, the way it looks, you may be here from now on, I hope. <laughs> There is the commercial. You go ahead and read it. Fire engines don't have starting trouble in cold weather. Their engines roar into action at the drop of a hat and warm up fast. They must have quick power and full power. Very good. It was to meet these re- those requirements that Texco first developed fire cheap gasoline. That's good. You gave us two words. He gives us one word. <laughs> Fire Chief is called the emergency duty gasoline because it was designed for fire engines, ambulances, and other vehicles in special service. Texaco Fire Chief comes to you loaded with power. It's ready to go at the push of the starter. It brings you quickly up to cruising speed. It delivers good long mileage, too, for every gallon. So next time, try a Texaco dealer and Fire Chief. The emergency duty gasoline at regular gasoline price. All right, Jimmy, you owe me five dollars. Charles did it much better okay. than you did. Thank there you, you go. very much. Starting next week, ladies and gentlemen, the announcer on this program will be Mr. Charles Wilde. <laughs> Texaco Workshop Players. Tonight they present for you a burlesque of one of radio's oldest and most popular programs, Death Valley Day. This version tonight is called Death Valley Takes a Holiday, or He Died with His Boots Off and the Indian Saw Three Heels. (laughs) 
music, Sheriff. This is station DMT, the breath of Broadway. Tonight, we bring you another true story as told by the old scout. Well, howdy, folks. Tonight. Before we hear from the old scout, just a word from our sponsor. This Valley Takes a Holiday is brought to you by Pink Fish Balls. Pink Fish Balls contain only the cheapest fish. At all leading fish markets, Pink paid less for fish than all leading fish manufacturers combined. At the, at the Fulton Fish Market, Pink paid 18% under the market price. <laughs> at Fisherman's Wharf, San Francisco, Pink paid 42% under the market price. <laughs> at the Trenton, at the Trenton Trout Auction, Pink paid nothing for fish he stole. <laughs> That is why pink fish balls may not be the best, but they are the cheapest. <laughs> if it's pink, it's a fish ball. <laughs> and here, ladies and gentlemen, is your host, the life of Death Valley, the old scout in Perth. Well, howdy, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, old scout, what thrilling story of the desert have you got for us tonight? Well, I want Eamon to talk on the desert tonight, Mr. Brown. No. No, t'other night I, uh, I seen a moving picture. It was called, They Died With Their Boots Off. Isn't that the story of Custer's Last Stand? Well, not all of it, Mr. Brown. Didn't that gallant band of 600 men fight off 6,000 Indians until every white man was killed? Not every white man, Mr. Brown. There was one of Custer's men that got away, fellow by the name of Luke Allen. Luke Allen? Why, that's your name, old scout. Well, if you want to pin me down, Mr. Brown, it is. <laughs> I uh, ain't never had skunk to mention it afore. Might to get into Luella Parsons' column and sound like Dragon. But you were the sole survivor of Custer's last stand. Yeah, and how I came to be is my story tonight, Mr. Brown. You'll recollect the creed of the West. A man always died with his boots on. A brave man always died with his boots on. That's how I come to escape that horrible massacre. What happened, old scout? Well, most of the 600 men was dead, Mr. Brown. There was only four of us left. We was trapped in a little prefabricated cabin up on a hill. Outside, the Indians was a hollering and a shooting. <laughs> sudden, like, it got quiet. Long John Bildad, one of our boys, spoke up. Hey, something's up. Them redskins have stopped a shooting. Maybe they're holding a powwow. Maybe them red fiends is gonna burn us out. Man, we only got one chance. What's, What's that, that, Wild Bill? One of us has got to get through to Errol Flynn to get help. <laughs> If an arrow Flynn knowed we were surrounded, he'd come a-running. Yeah. Flynn saved the Santa Fe. He sure can save us. One of us has got to make a run for it, man. But that's almost sorting death, Wild Bill. Man, we ain't a-showing the white feather, are we? No. no. <laughs> then one of us has got to take a chance. That's far and squaw, man. One of you boys has got to get word through to Errol Flynn. Hey, wait a minute. One of us, boys. What about you, Luke Allen? Yeah, how about Wait you? a minute. Hold on, men. I can't go. I'm liable to get killed. <laughs> you ain't afraid of the last roundup, Luke. No, I ain't. But when I die, Wild Bill, I'm dying with my boots off. But what's that? Look, the... look, men. Luke's bar-footed. Bar-footed. <laughs> and if I'm bar-footed, 
I can't die with my boots on, can I? <laughs> Where is your boots, Luke? Well, running for the cabin, my boots drapped off. About a mile down the trail. Now, I can't die here with my boots down there. <laughs> now, hold on. If you lose the draw, Luke, you can borrow boots from one of us. You can die with our boots on. That's an idea. That's far and square, ain't it, Luke? It sure is far and square, Swayback. What size boots do you wear? Mine, size nine. Mine, see? What's yours, Wild Bill? My boots is tens and a half. Long John? My right one, size 11. The other one's a 12. My left big toe is king size. <laughs> well, you got your choice, Luke. We got nines, ten and a halfs, one eleven, and one twelve. Now, ain't that just my luck? My boots is size 18, triple A. <laughs> well, get along with the drawing, man. Now, hold on, Luke. You ain't a-getting out of this. Well, taint me, Wild Bill. It's tradition. If there ain't no boots to fit me, how can I die with my boots on? I got an idea, and it's far and squar. What's far and squar? Before we draw lots to see who goes for Errol Flynn, yeah. we'll draw lots to see who goes for Luke's boots. That's, That's far and squar. And <laughs> let you join us in the first draw, Luke. Well, okay, men, I'll draw. It slips way back. Got him ready right here in my hat. Man that draws a short of slip. Goes for Luke's boots. That's far and squad. <laughs> Okey, draw, man. I got mine. Give me hold one. up the hat. Now, now hold out the slips, man. Who's got the shortest? Jumpin'. Jimson hits me. Swayback. You go for Luke's boots, Swayback. Jeeper. Well, good luck, Swayback. Okay. And if when they get me, tell them back home, I died with my boots on. Open the door. Goodbye, man. Go. Well, he died with his boots on. Too bad Swayback couldn't have given him the slip. Uh, speaking of slips reminds me, Luke. Yeah, Wild Bill. When we held out them slips after the draw, I noticed you had two slips. One was behind your back. Well, it must have been a hangnail. I got wide hangnails, you know. Well, come on, man. Let's draw again. We got to get Luke's boots. Hold on now. This time we ain't a drawn slip. We There's only three of us and this loaf of raisin bread left. How can you draw with bread? I'm cutting three slices of raisin bread. We'll each pick a slice. Low man with raisins and his slice goes for Luke's boots. Now cut. Ah, take your slice, Long John. Okay. Luke. Okay. This is mine. All your raisins. I got six. I got five. I got four. Looks like it's you, Long John. Good luck, Long John. Okay. And if they get me, tell them back home. I died with my boots on. Open the door. Goodbye. Go. Well, he died with his boots on. Must have been that same red skin that got sway back. Yeah, hit the daily double today, didn't it? Well, Long John's eyes sure was bad. Sure was. His eyes were so bad, reckon he never seen that bullet come in. Long John never seen the two of them raisins in your bread was horseflies, neither. You ain't incinerating, Wild Bill. You was low bread, Luke Allen, and you knows it. I want no lower bread than you was. Well, take no use in ruckus in Luke. One of us two has got to go for your boot. Well, hand me the knife. I'll slice this raisin bread again. Not this time, Luke. We'll roll dice. Well, okay, suits me. I got my dice right here in my pole. We ain't using your dice, Luke Allen. Why not? Wild Bill. Them dicey yarn are so loaded it takes two men to roll them. <laughs> we'll roll my dice. Well, suits me. First man to roll a seven stays. Suits me. The other man goes for your boots. I'll roll first. Six. Your roll, Luke. Mind if I roll them one at a time? I got a small hand. Not as long as it's far and squall. It'll be far and squall. Now, here's my first roll. Five. You got a roll of two to win. Come on, Dice. I'm requesting a two. Ha! Well, I'll be dagnabbed at two it is. And two and five make seven. Well, good luck, Wild Bill. Okay. And if they get me, tell them back home I died with my boots on. Open the door. So long, Luke. Well, he died with his boots on. 
That, Mr. Brown, is how I became the sole survivor of Custer's last stand. Yeah, old scout, that Indian got Wild Bill, too. Yeah, Mr. Brown, there I was alone. What did you do? The first thing I did is put my elk's tooth back on. Elk's tooth? Yeah, you see, when I rolled out that five, I needed two to make a seven. Well, my elk's tooth had two cavities. I hit the dice, I rolled out my elk's tooth, and made my seven. <laughs> well, uh, what happened when you were left alone, old scout? Well, poor trying to escape, I wanted to see if that Indian had any ammunition left. I opened the door. He did have. I knew then there was no chance of getting word through to Errol Flynn. You were sunk, old scout. I thought I was buzzard bait, sure enough, Mr. Brown. For thinking of Errol Flynn, give me an idea. Yes? I opened the door. I called to the Indian. Hey, Chief! The Indian... The Indian... The Indian come to the door with his feathers at attention. The Indian... The Indian says... I says... I says... Do you know Errol Flynn? I, uh, I plead with Errol Flynn in Santa Fe. Oh, me play with Errol Flynn in Dodge City. <laughs> brother! What a brother! <laughs> well, with that, we was friends, Mr. Brown. You and the Indian were brothers. We was brothers under the Flynn. <laughs> That's how it comes, Mr. Brown. The old scout is still here alive tonight. And if you don't get any applause when you finish this story, old scout, you can tell the sponsor, I died with Mabusa! Well, I guess that about winds everything up, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us tonight. Next week, our guest will be Ned Sparks, the famous Hollywood star and the winner of the Texaco College competition at the University of Missouri, Hamer Fleet. This is Fred Allen saying goodnight for the more than 45,000 Texaco dealers from coast to coast, inviting you to tune in again next Wednesday night and to drive in at your Texaco dealers at any time. Remember, you're welcome. Good night. Now, for further developments on the war situation, we take you to the CBS Newsroom. This is John Daly reporting from the CBS Newsroom in New York, and here are the latest developments in the war with Japan. First, a bulletin has just come in, datelined Manila. An Army communique today said that Army bombers had scored three direct hits on a Japanese battleship of the Hiranuma class, the 29,000-ton class, at a point ten miles northeast of northern Luzon. A fire was started on the ship, says the bulletin. Two bombs dropped close alongside the ship, the battleship was said to be blazing fiercely when the bomber left the scene. It's now about 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon in Manila. Japanese forces still appear to be tacking at many points in the eastern Pacific, but there have been no important developments in the last few hours. The principal attack seems to be going forward on the Philippine island of Luzon. According to the latest War Department communique out of Washington, Japanese landings on the west coast of Luzon have been repulsed, and enemy losses apparently have been large but Washington admitted that the Japs have gained a foothold on the northern coast, probably between Vigan and Apare. There is almost no news from other American possessions in the Pacific area. The Army Command in Honolulu reports that Hawaii has suffered no enemy attacks at all since Sunday, and the islands are described officially as quiet. All citizens, among them several thousand Japanese, are said to be cooperating with the authorities. Hawaii is now under martial law. As for operations in other areas... Japanese troops have captured the British airdrome at Kota Baru in the northern sector of British Malaya near the Thai border. South of Kota Baru, British forces are putting up vigorous resistance. And Singapore, Britain's naval base in southeastern Malaya, is being reinforced by naval and air units from the Dutch East Indies and India. About an hour ago, Columbia's shortwave listening station here in New York heard the British radio say that the Dutch fleet has left Batavian waters. Quoting Singapore dispatches, BBC also said that 270 American and British subjects have already been interned in Japan. From Singapore Direct comes word that an undisclosed number of survivors have been landed at the British naval base from the British warship Prince of Wales and Repulse, which the Japanese sank yesterday. The Associated Press reports that Columbia correspondent Cecil Brown 
is among those rescued from the repulse, and so is O'Dowd Gallagher, correspondent of the London Daily Express. Both Brown and Gallagher were previously reported on board the Prince of Wales. So far, there is no news of Admiral Sir Tom Phillips, commander of Britain's Far Eastern Fleet. Regarding operations farther north, the British say they have stabilized their positions at the Crown Colony of Hong Kong and repulsed two Japanese attacks. Chinese forces are advancing against the Japanese in the Canton area, which is a few miles north and west of Hong Kong. On our own west coast, California is now blacked out from the Mexican border north to a point west of Boulder Dam in Nevada, and the 4th Interceptor Command says this is not a practice blackout. Here is a report just in about that area. The Army announced tonight that unidentified planes were over and south of Los Angeles, and that the planes of the 4th Interceptor Command had been sent aloft to determine if they were enemy aircraft. A few hours ago, all radio stations in the Los Angeles area were shut down under orders from the Army. In Mexico, a large-scale move to reinforce Mexico's Pacific Coast defense is underway. All Mexican troops, planes, and gunboats that can be spared are at this moment moving westward, and it was announced in Mexico City that General Lazaro Cardenas, the former president, has been named the commander-in-chief of all Mexican armed forces on Mexico's Pacific shoreline. And that is the latest news on the Far East. The next special news broadcast will be heard over many of these stations at 1.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Columbia, which is keeping its network open all night, will continue to interrupt its regularly scheduled programs to bring you the latest news. John Daly speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>